0: Hi there, it's the Pathfinders Collective podcast. Just out walking the dog, filming an intro for you. So what follows is a conversation with Dr. Pedro Baez from the Blockchain and Climate Institute, as well as Imperial College London. Really interesting guy, fantastic conversation. I'm very grateful that he took the time to talk to me all about sustainable finance, blockchain, decentralized ledger technologies and climate change and how changes in sustainable fintech are uh, changing business models the world over, potentially for the better. Um, If you wanna find out more about that, you can talk to Pedro through LinkedIn. And if you wanna know more about running a regenerative business, changing the economy to a different kind of model, then go to thepathfinders.co and join us today. But for now, let's get started. Thank you, Pedro, for joining me. Um, First thing I wanted to ask you, for the benefit of the audience and myself, is what exactly do you do? Because in doing the the research for this um, recording, I've found that you are the CTO and co-founder of Wiscont. I hope I've pronounced that correctly. Um, You are the Head of Research at the Blockchain and Climate Change Institute. You're a sustainable finance expert. You're a mechanical engineer. The Royal Society Entrepreneur-in-Residence at Imperial and the head of AI at X8. That's, that's a lot of different hats to wear.
1: It is, it is. Uh, uh, but well, I guess, you know, it shows how many of these things are times are linked. Uh, I, I guess I can summarize a lot of uh, what I do uh, by the subject of data. So I'm, I've, I'm, I'm, I've been in the area of data technologies, transformational data technologies for many years. And I've, I'm an expert in a few of these fronts based on the work that I'm pushing. And, and yeah, I, I am specifically passionate about sustainable fintech, which is how all of these technologies can really uh, support sustainable development. You know, uh, SDGs. Uh, you know, the UN, so essentially the UN Sustainable Development Goals, Paris Agreement, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
0: Okay, so those are all the things, the, the the what that you do. But why do you do what you do?
1: Why do I do it? Uh, well, I this is kind of my hobby. I, I guess you know many people can have different hobbies, uh, uh, I guess, uh, you know, for example, reading books, uh, I do love reading, but a lot of the things I like, instead of, for example, reading Harry Potter uh, <laughs> or something, I mean, nothing bad about it, actually, uh, you know, this is obviously also, also great, but I am, I'm, I'm a geek at heart and i am always been, and, and I just love just reading and keeping on top of, of tech. And and that's kind of probably is reflected with all of, of all of those uh, positions that you read before. I uh, this uh, there are two things probably are good to mention, which is uh, technology is changing extremely fast, and uh, and yeah, and I love to ingest and digest a lot of knowledge. Uh, so it's it was a perfect match, uh, you know, for doing this. Uh, my background, as you mentioned, is mechanical engineering, and I was doing a bit of that. Uh, but I kind of got bored you know. after a few months of doing a certain job. I kind of got flat and became, things became very repetitive. And I really don't like repetitive things after a while. That's actually what I do a lot of AI. It's just once something can be done or becomes repetitive, then probably is the time for AI to come and do it.
0: Um, a lot of the people listening will be coming one way or another um, because they're thinking about green business or doing things differently. Um, and the title of this episode is all about blockchain and climate change. So for the benefit of everybody listening and myself, what is blockchain?
1: Oh, well, we can we deep dive but I guess you know, to keep it relatively very, very simple is a database. Uh, you know, if if we want to go very, very simplistic, uh, but obviously, it's not just an another database. A kind of a special type of database. Uh, it has certain characteristics, like for example, it is distributed, it is uh, decentralized, and and uh, and it has characteristics like, for example, immutability. So essentially, this concept that once a block or or data has been added, you know, it cannot be deleted anymore. So, so I, th- I think that to keep it relatively simple. It's it's, it's yeah, it's, it's a data technology, a a database, which has some very interesting characteristics.
0: Okay, and why are you excited about blockchain technologies?
1: Uh, I mean, uh, there, there are lots of things, I guess, uh, but um, uh, as I mentioned, I've, I've been working on data for, for for a while and on multiple fronts. You know, uh, uh, for example, you know, one of the things that got me into into data was the uh, for IoT, Internet of Things, for those of you that don't know, which is essentially sensors embedded everywhere. And uh, I've been doing that as, as an engineer. In fact, now it's amazing the amount of sensors that machines come, you know, like cars, for example, are now pretty much computers <laughs> on wheels. And and this trend is just here to stay. More and more sensors, especially 5G coming, literally, you will be able to connect, you know, uh, chairs where we're sitting, everything, everything. Uh, and yeah, all of that data, I mean, as an engineer, one of the things I was doing actually uh, from my academic background, predicting failure of, of of machines and equipment aircraft with that data. And, and how do you do that? Well, that's the area where it comes with uh, AI, which is, you know, IoT is about sensor connecting data, gathering data, uh, data flowing every direction, everywhere. Uh, AI is about analyzing that data, which is kind of what I do mostly, uh, it's, it's the focus of what I do. And then uh, uh, some of these data can be very, very valuable, very, very special. And, and that's where DLT comes in, uh, distributed ledgers, where is where you can store this data. So kind of the trilogy of data technologies, uh, AI, IoT, blockchain. And in many problems, actually, they can, I mean, individual, they are big, they are important, they are transformational, but you put them together, uh, we can create an entire different world, essentially.
0: And what what would that world look like? Why are you excited about it? Uh, What's the, this is what I'm trying to get at for the people listening. Like, okay, there's a database and there's sensors. Give us an example. Um, tell us a little story about why this is exciting for you.
1: Okay, sounds good. And let's raise it on, on the probably DLT front. As, as I said, I'm very excited about all these technologies, <laughs> especially their interaction. Uh, but specifically with the case of blockchain, uh, is, uh, or, or, well, sometimes I like to actually refer to them as DLT, distributed ledgers technology, of which blockchain is, is one of the types. Uh, but yeah, one of the things I like about DLT, uh, which is actually at the end of the day, kind of the substance, why, why everybody's so excited is because it, it's a place to store things of value uh, and to 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 move things of value, to exchange value. So we can actually summarize that, that it's valuable data which is there. And, and, and obviously you can, uh, when we talk about value, obviously different people will have different values. Uh, uh, and we can talk about that when we talk about sustainability, in fact, with more. But, but one thing that everybody agrees has value because it's how we go and shop is money. You know, you, we all need money to survive, uh, to go and, you know, get food. And, and that actually is a very good application, and, and that's why actually cryptos sometimes, uh, you know, well, is what gathers all the attention, is what everybody just talk about when they talk about DLTs, uh, because it's a it's a great solution for exchanging value, moving value around. So it's a, it's a, it's a very simple concept when you think about this idea of oh, what exactly does it, it's just store moving value, and but it does it so well, it does it so efficiently. It does it so much better than everything else that we had that it really open up the box for so many other things that we now are starting considering is also valuable because money is not everything in life, I guess. <laughs> you know.
0: um, so one of the things that I've been doing in my research um, is chatting with people about blockchain and listening to questions that they might have. Um, I did a, a clubhouse the other evening and we had lots of different questions about um critical thinking about blockchain, and some of the things that came up were how, how, who decides the protocol for a, pl- a blockchain's principles? Um, how are they made? Who's making them? Um, who's interacting with the blockchain? So, if um, this distributed ledger technology is how we um, are going to exchange value, if it's a potential replacement for our, you know, m- monetary system. Um, some of the conversations that were coming up were on one side sounding like some sort of Star Trek utopia, like everything's decentralized. We're all in it together. We set the rules. And then the other side sounded like this Orwellian nightmare of, well, if you can control the ledger and there are these large interests that want to do so, then you've got this, yeah, this, these two sides. And I'm sure that the reality is way more pragmatic than that. Um, So could you just explain a little bit more about yeah um, how we interact as a society with the with the blockchain?
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, well, good set of questions. I mean uh, we won't be able to go into details here and in fact I, I think one thing to to highlight here is that there are multiple uh, DLTs or blockchains you know it's a competition if I to name sometimes and so on. Uh, and each of them, you know, you, we can keep digging and talking only about one of them. Uh, for example, big names are probably maybe people have heard of them already are things like Ethereum, the Ethereum network, the, there is Hyperledger. Uh, and, and there are others that, you know, I would not, not mention, but uh, the idea is that when it comes about, you mentioned who controls this, a lot of these things already come an initial when you design this. At, at the end of the day, this is just code. Uh, uh, it's a lot of code, GitHub, and so on. Uh, all of that uh, has already been there. And when you kind of join one of these networks, one of these distributed ledgers, you're kind of signing in in, in what already was set up as a protocol. Uh, for example, the consensus and so on. Uh, these things can migrate. Obviously they can evolve. They are not fixed. In fact, uh, the, the whole, because of all this potential that we talk about the LT now, more and more people is doing research. And things are moving uh, hopefully forward, you know, in the right direction. And uh, and and yeah, we we may touch it again at some point later in in the in the meeting. But for example, uh, one of the biggest networks, of Ethereum, has been now for years trying to move away from the proof of work, which is very energy intensive, into proof of stake. But again, uh, uh, this is ongoing process. A lot of these things, as I said, they come out from the beginning from the actual network. That we may be joining the, you know to that distributed ledger um, and uh, in many cases, not all of them because it's good to mention that there are some ledgers that are kind of more private. in fact, this is one of the things that is happening as well where there is more control but there are others which are very very open and community driven and therefore there is no central authority. so that that is remember one of the definitions I said decentralization. Well, there is no single boss or in some of them okay it doesn't apply all across but there are some the ones which are more open more community driven and so on they are actually well decentralized and and there is no single boss if you if you want to put it that way yeah.
0: so is the idea then that there is competition between these ledgers and therefore the one that serves the most people's interests will be the one that gets more widely adopted
1: oh that's a uh... That's a million dollar question. Oh, that's, this is the bets that are going. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, uh, well, I, I, my view on this is that, uh, because yeah, this question always arises when you say, okay, there are multiple ones. Uh, some of them actually, in fact, uh, not using at all the concept of a block and so on. And, and you have, for example, IOTA and so on that is following the concept of directed acid graphs. For example, instead of blocks, uh, because it actually opens up and is way more scalable. Uh, you know, because the blockchain everybody knows, especially with proof of work, it is not scalable. It's you know you can only perform few few transactions per second. So uh, in this push for improvement, I I think that we are just starting. I, I think that probably the blockchains that we'll have in five years uh, or ten years could look different to what we have now. So all of these, uh, maybe the blockchain of the future is still having emerge, uh, or the DLT of the future. Um, but also something else that is emerging is the fact that it may not be a single winner. Really, it's it really depends on applications. It really, the, you know, one thinking that one DLT will dominate all the others, uh, considering all the applications that we have. And again, we are not talking about cryptos and money. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are talking about so many more things. Uh, that yeah, it's hard to really imagine that only one will play. Okay. Because uh, based on my experience as well that I've, I mean I have years of experience doing consulting across multiple sectors of the economy. There are different requirements and different requirements require different solutions.
0: From the so, sorry from from the consumer point of view, would we not even notice any difference? So say for example, we just want to perform a function. We don't necessarily need to know what ledger it's on. Is that fair? Or would we directly have to be interacting with it?
1: No, that that's a very fair assumption. In fact, this, uh, uh, for example, if again, we, take, we pick the example of cryptos, which is the one that everybody's kind of familiar with us, all the other cases are still evolving. Uh, you have, you know, some kind of app wallets that really you you don't see these things. It's just, you don't know what's happening in the background, essentially. And And yeah, that probably is what will happen in the end. Uh, in the background, all this tech is happening, uh, with, and it's happening right now with many other things in AI as well. Uh, you just download an app, which is doing amazing things that you couldn't like, for example, putting, uh, things on top of your face when you're actually recording a video or, or, or making a, a picture sync, you know, I'm talking about some apps that are becoming that are around popular. These things uh, in the background, there is a lot of tech going on but people just care about the end goal for them, you know, the functionality and not about the details.
0: Okay, so just for people listening that are thinking, why on earth are we talking about um, technology? What's this got to do with the environment? What's it got to do with um, sustainable development? All those sorts of things i just throw in a quick couple of um, applications that might whet people's appetite for like why we're talking about this. So I found some um, startups that are using blockchain technology to um, do all sorts of amazing things. Um, one in particular I found was called genomes.io. I don't know if you've heard of them. They offer a genome sequencing um, package to people, which is a much higher fidelity than um, ones that you can currently get. Um, and they store the data anonymously on the blockchain, and then they rent that data to medical researchers, and proceeds from that go to the people who whose data it is. So it's this model that says, okay, well, we'll provide you with a service, but then we'll also provide you with income based on our use of your data, and that data gets used for medical research, which helps with you know the progression of our knowledge and understanding and new healthcare and so on, and it just struck me as a really interesting business model um, about how you can um, use people's data to make them money rather than to advertise to them and make other people money. So that was interesting. Um, and there's a, a bunch of different apps I've seen that um, provide the the consensus that comes with blockchain technologies, which we haven't touched upon, but maybe we will do a little bit later. Um, and using that for identification. So say, for example, you've got people that are undocumented. Well, there are certain apps that are coming around that enable people to have documentation so that they can move from one place to another. It's particularly useful for refugees and so on. So that there is a ledger that says that this person was in this place and they went to the other place. So if you're in some sort of situation where you cannot access a passport or you have a, a government or an authority that is is incapable of serving your needs, all of a sudden, if you have a smartphone, you can do things. Similar thing with banking, um, banking apps that allow people to yeah move money, trade with each other anywhere in the world. Again, all you need is a smartphone. So I just want the audience to kind of, yeah, understand a little bit more that um, the the real world application of this technology is the thing that's so exciting and interesting. The fact that we have this, this leveling force. So I wonder if you could talk talk to me about that a little bit more. The idea that a what does decentralization really mean in a practical human way? What does it do to change people's lives?
1: Yeah, no, uh, excellent examples, Rob. And it shows a bit of you know how big this field is. And I like actually that you you touch on subjects or, or, or specific applications that are not finance related because. Uh, Many people are still are fixated with the idea of cryptos and finance, and not oh, the is only for finance. But you know your, your example about medical applications, which and now, well, with the pandemic, we can see the value of collaboration, the value of using data now with what has happened now with COVID. So it's huge. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, I think we are just starting. I think what you just mentioned is just this is a, not even is the very, very tip of the iceberg. So we haven't really seen anything yet, and 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 decentralization, you know, regarding the question there, what it's bringing, uh, well, that that, that brings, uh, uh, well, two things there that, that are kind of uh, together, but they're different: the you know, uh, 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 distributed side and and decentralization side. So, uh, distributed uh, computing or, or distributed databases—they are very common. You know, this is, uh, for example, NoSQL uh, databases. Uh, that essentially, you, well, I don't know if you know how much computer, but there is something Nothing. to think about it. And as data keeps increasing, you cannot really have it all in one place. There is no single computer that can store now all the data that is produced. So you need to be distributing that data. So that provides resilience. So that's one of the things. So that, that means that imagine if you had all your data in one place and that place goes down mm-hmm. or burns down. That doesn't sound good. Huh? Mm-hmm. Go on. <laughs> For sure, yeah, that that is a really bad thing. Especially, imagine if it's all your money. Yeah, <laughs> was <too> there. Right. <laughs> so that that part is the distribution part. Uh, uh, that is that is so data is not only in one place. Uh, and again, there are many other uh, type of databases that do that and are not DLTs. Okay, good to mention, especially in the big data world. Uh, this, that's a whole world and it's on its own. Uh, now the other is of the decentralization and that one that you asked, which is also imp- which is relates to this owner or 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 boss or admin or or some kind of entity that decides what's going to happen. Uh, and that actually is was it's one of the probably most interesting ideas that there is no single one uh, in DLTs normally. This is actually caused by consensus about by the network. And and yeah, in traditional systems, actually, uh, computing system distributed, once you distribute something, actually it becomes more exposed. Your exposed area for hacking uh, actually expands. And and suddenly, in fact, typically in computer, when actually it was distributed, or you have a lot of exposure areas, or or the data is in multiple, you could be hacked more and more. I mean, there is more chance that something could go wrong. Uh, But uh, in DLT, this actually typically works the way: the 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 more exposed, the more distributed it is because of decentralization. If you really want to now hack this network and and introduce something like, oh, I want to change my money, now you not, you need to hack not just one computer, you need to hack a lot of them, and this becomes essentially impossible as 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 the network grows. And and yeah, it's the beauty of that decentralization where. The consensus is achieved through many uh, uh, actors in this network, and and that is one of the uh, good things of over traditional type of centralized database, where essentially it could be a bank. Imagine the central bank having all your money. I, okay, we all trust the central bank. You know, typically they're the, the, the doing good job, but again, what happens if someone hacks into the central bank? Oh, that can lead to trouble. But uh, this is a pro. This is a problem that now. Uh, DLTs are addressing you know even if you hack a node of a DLT in a central bank you still cannot do much because you will literally need to hack many nodes uh, of the network and uh, yeah that's probably another beauty you know beautiful thing or characteristic about uh these features.
0: and I'll ask you more about this later but that's probably one of the reasons why i think that group that i had with those conversations there's this mixture of Skepticism and optimism, because what does that do to the banks? What does that do to the notion of central authorities? All of a sudden, that goes right. Um, so, then one of the people I was chatting with was saying, Well, why would these banks be going along with this unless they had, you know, some sort of desire to take advantage of it? Which comes on to my next question when things are on the blockchain and they are. Immutable and decentralized, and everyone can see it. That makes a lot of sense. How does stuff get onto the blockchain? How do we make sure that the information that we're storing on there is verified um, and is valid data? And a lot of what you're saying earlier about um, the consensus forming is the network. So, if the network is made up of everybody on it and they can all see it my question is not everybody is putting the same data on at the same time there has to be a user right somebody who's placing information onto the blockchain in the first place how is that done i've heard about these things called oracles and i'm just trying to think of like points of contact within this system um to better understand it so is there anything that you could say around yeah how does information get put on who's doing it and how does it work
1: yeah uh well it, it's it's an excellent question for it. and and again I go back uh to potentially the case of it, it it changes depending on the application it's it's really application and in fact that's a lot of the work that I do and that I'm involved with uh, all the roles that you described before <laughs> um so yeah it's as as we mentioned whole idea of dlt is to store exchange value Now, what does actually that means? Again, depends on specific applications. Me, as a data scientist who actually extracts value from data, that's a huge amount of work, and it's actually where you know most data scientists you probably heard people do AI, eighty percent of the time is cleaning and preparing data. (laughs) So I will just leave it there to you know. As in this question, what data is there? well? That's part of the work that we need to get done. That, that's the challenge actually. It's not the DLT or the, that things are already done, and are relatively easy. You know, now we can just now we just need to add the data about which data. And 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 that's a, a lot of the work that I'm, I'm involved with in research in, in multiple places. You know, the Blockchain Climate Institute, but also work with universities, the Imperial College. As well as also commercial organizations and also standards organization like ISO. It is we are just starting, let's put it like that, uh, and and you know that's actually why I work so, try to do so much work with the uh, uh, international standards organization where I'm actually the for example I'm the UK representative for one of the technical committees in sustainable finance there TC three two two, because it's a huge question what exact data should. For what? Uh, the, I, well, I can just tell you something. There is a lot of ongoing discussion. There is, there is some agreement in some areas, but in general, there is no full agreement.
0: Right. And this is, this is what was interesting to me because um, so much of the promise of, of blockchain technology is this notion of consensus. But it got me thinking that how do you get consensus of what goes on in the first place? Because then that's a group of people making that decision. It's not everybody. Um, and I was thinking, if you want to change the world in 50 years to 100 time or sorry, if you want to change the world in 50 to 100 years' time, write a protocol now on blockchain. Is that fair?:
1: Wow, uh, well, I think let's suppose the, the protocol is, is, is one area of research which is moving at their own speed. What specific data is coming inside there and is being stored is another whole world which depends on applications. And and as as I'm doing with ISO, it really should involve the main stakeholders in that that application. For example, in the world of finance, uh, sustainable finance, which is where I'm more involved, uh, TC322, which is the Technical Committee on Sustainable Finance, works very closely with many other committees. I'm actually the liaison between TC322 and TC307, which is the technical committee on blockchains. But then I also have collaborated extensively with TC207, which is the environmental technical committee, where there you have the experts on environmental aspects who helped decide what data to actually put in in or what to store. Uh, So it's it's not up to the DLT experts to decide what they because you know doesn't know the dlt experts actually typically do not know about applications for example to environmental you need to call and bring the experimental experts who know exactly what data to put there so that that is uh, uh ongoing work as i mentioned we're still very early but yeah each each application area has its own world of experts and so on and so on and and we're just getting started on this
0: so When it comes to um, decentralized finance, um, am I right in thinking that there's probably an awful lot of people that exist uh, that are working in the current financial system that are now thinking, okay, well, how do we take what we currently do and put it on the blockchain?
1: Uh, Yes, there is ongoing work on that. Uh, As I said, I'm I'm working with multiple stakeholders in that space. but well, let, let's let's be honest as well. This is is bringing this is so transformational that, as you mentioned, it poses uh, challenges in current business models <laughs> uh, to the point that, in fact, it could destroy entire business models from which some of these financial institutions are making money now, and suddenly they will make no money. Uh, uh, so yeah, no, it's it's a challenging question. Um, I don't know. I don't have an answer. Again, it depends on specific applications. Uh, what I can tell you for sure uh, is that it's, I, I mean, I, I like the concept of, of uh, as I mentioned, you know, we mentioned some of the advantages of decentralization already before. And um, decentralized finance, again, it can potentially open the door for you know democratizing finance. You know, that you can talk about you know, complex or, or or other type of financial products at the moment sometimes are only restricted for people, let's say, in in New York, you know, Wall Street, or in Canary Wharf in London, and suddenly opening up opportunities for for many more people to access uh, 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 different sides of finance. So that obviously is it's good. I, I I I think we all agree on that, but there is a big but, and uh, you. Uh, finance is one of the most heavily regulated sectors there is. And there are reasons for it. Uh, it's not just because, uh, I know some people say, oh, it's just because all the governments want to keep control of all of us. And the... <laughs> uh, uh, I, I don't know about, by the way, all gov- maybe some governments have that as a plan. But, but the fact is that there are um, very well agreed uh, 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 standards when it comes to certain aspects of finance that we all Want to avoid, uh, specifically the for anyone that's an expert in finance will know things like KYC and AML.
0: No idea what that means.
1: Yeah, let me explain <laughs> a <little> more. <laughs> KYC stands for Know Your Customer, right? And AML stands for Anti Money Laundering, right? Every single financial institution, uh, pretty much in all the well G seventy seven or well, a- any respected country that wants to work with any other respected country. They are all have signed treaties and agreements on this front.
0: Which is this is consensus, right? This is trust, which is at the heart so, of so much what we're talking about.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, here the essentially the agreement is to monitor, share data, and make sure that essentially, for example, drug traffickers, pedophiles do not get away with that type of things. I think we, we all could agree that at least all law-abiding citizens that we wouldn't like that. We wouldn't like to you know. Uh, uh, let, let clean uh, pedophiles, for example, getting away with what they do because of the centralized finance. Uh, so that is one of the the, the biggest things, uh, and every organization working in in financial market, regulated financial markets, need to comply with these two things. And and yeah, and that obviously, I, I think we need to do it. We, we we shouldn't try to just go around it. And unfortunately. We have to say that's sometimes one of the things that get associated to, again, cryptos, that uh, because of all the facility and all the benefits of moving value so easily, so quickly, well, you can imagine all the people that essentially wanted to get uh, separated from all these regulated markets where they could use it for. Okay, it's, uh, and well, I I won't mention all the the different use cases, you, you know, which have been discovered, but 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 yeah, that that's something that we don't want. We want, in that sense, a bit more centralization, if you call it, or monitoring, where uh, you know you you cannot just you know do illegal things. It's it's not allowed uh, anywhere. Well, as I mentioned, any any respected uh, jurisdiction with a respected financial sector will enforce very strict uh, KYC and AML considerations for any financial you know many type of financial transactions
0: okay um let's talk a bit more about um sustainable finance then and then we'll come back around to climate change so how is sustainable finance different to decentralized finance or DeFi?
1: yeah good uh, well these things again, they can be related Potentially, for example, in that area of inclusivity. So, uh, you know, to have a more sustainable world, we need to. I think we all agree we want to be more inclusive, <laughs> especially those that at the moment are not benefiting from from finance, uh, from the benefits of financial uh, sector. Uh, mm-hmm. But but yeah, in general, they are they are kind of very two separate and you know independent worlds. Uh, sustainable finance as I said, it's one of the areas where I'm very particularly focused, you know, uh, you know, working, I'm one of the experts at a pretty standard institution, working on this specific topic. Uh, we, It's a broad concept that continues expanding, let me tell you that. <laughs> uh, but overall, we sometimes in finance, it's referred as ESG considerations, so environmental, social governance considerations. Uh, but in general, you know, uh, when we talk about finance, uh, sustainable finance, one of the stickiest points or uh, where we actually want to have more clarity and there is you know lots of international organizations are working very hard to try to bring that clarity is on the materiality concepts. Uh, materiality essentially it's this idea of what is materially relevant, what is important to actually define you sustainable or not it's a, it's a hot topic. I won't, ex, you know, I could expand and talk about that, you know, for the whole hour. <laughs> uh, but that's where the conversations are, and involving lots of experts, I can tell you, of many different sectors, not just finance sector.
0: Okay. So what what are the what's the most exciting ways um, that blockchain can be used in sustainable finance?
1: there are so many applications that I don't know where to start and, and yeah I don't want also that people think oh it's only that no it's it's just expanding I think uh, Rob you did a very good example at the beginning to tell people what are current startups doing on with blockchain for example you know the genome uh, you know and try to healthcare a similar thing applies to blockchain and climate exactly uh, you can have for example uh, what is called, uh, for example, energy coins. What is an energy coin? Well, it's a coin that is generated using, for example, uh, some kind of sustainable uh, energy source, like solar panels. Uh, you see that... Hang on, that, wait that, a minute. Stop, is- stop,
0: stop, stop. Just in case people are listening and they go, sorry, what, a coin made by a solar panel? So is this the idea that... Um, the the digital a, dig- ...a digital coin that's created, uh, but the mining for which is entirely powered by renewable energy?
1: I know there. There is here the other aspect, uh, uh, the the mining process, okay, that is happening sometime in this. The, the things I don't want to actually mix because these are actually different words altogether. I know that they are using the same words, but they are actually totally different things. Uh, so yeah, now many of the crypto farms in several places are powering themselves with a lot of renewable energy, okay. But that is a crypto word. I, I don't deal typically with crypto. OK,
0: forget crypto. So what's what's an energy yeah, coin? Yeah.
1: So here, what we're talking is, uh, the, remember the concept of value? So an ideal is to store value. So here is to actually say that a certain amount of megawatts of energy, OK, that is the value, the megawatts of energy were produced using uh, clean resources, like, for example, a solar panel. So let's call it like that. that that's. That's value generated from a solar panel, and now that value, we want to move it around. Does that make sense? Does it make it very clear that?
0: Yeah, because let's, let's so we, we we're we're distinguishing. This is this is another thing I want to talk to you about in a minute, actually, about NFTs and so on. We're we're making a distinction between the it's almost like the use value and the intrinsic value of something, or the um, yeah, the perceived value the shared understanding of the attribution of value between you and I, and how much that's worth to us. And then there's the thing itself of the actual electricity that's been created. Is that
1: right? Perfect, you put it extremely well there. So there the value, it's very intrinsic to that thing. It's it's energy, megawatts of energy that have been produced clean. Yeah, and and, and then yeah, how much that is worth, For people, the good thing is that uh, about energy is that energy, we kind of, is very relatively well established, you know, we, we all pay electricity and, and in most uh, markets, you know, you know how much a megawatt of energy is, co- is worth uh, and so on and so on. And, and yeah, that, that is essentially what we're trying to, 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 uh, to uh, the two points here, you know, the concept of a megawatt of uh-huh. energy and the, the concept of how much that is worth.
0: Okay, so in terms of the, the concept of how much that is worth, why is that a useful thing to do? Why, why make the distinction? Why not just have, um, here's X number of megawatts of energy and it costs, um, you know, however many pence per unit, therefore, you know, just like me paying my electricity bill. So what is the, what is the benefit or the, the, uh, the interesting thing here by having this other sense of value that we can now exchange?
1: Great right. Uh, I think we need to separate them because, um, well, they they are very different things. Uh, So essentially, what we're talking about here about two things that the economics, you know, they're very well known, which is the concept potentially of of intrinsic value, how much something is is worth, of of how much essentially something costs to be made. And the price of that. These two things, normally they should be linked and there should be, you know, a relationship there. But... uh, but the price, price is something that it can be very subjective. And price uh, normally in, in, well, pretty much now, uh, since we know that uh, communist models do not work, we are all now driven by market economics, uh, price is set out by supply and demand. So, so you see, these two are very, very different things and that's why they can be very, very different. You know, the, the, the actual value of something that, how much you spend, how much you use to make it, Versus how much that can be traded and bought or sold, these are these can be totally totally different things, and I think we have seen some examples. <laughs> I'm sure you can think of things like that. So, uh, I mean, it's the way things work. I'm, I'm I'm not planning here to change the whole finance <laughs> or the whole. Uh, we we I think we have gone through those iterations before, you know. And for example, you know, communism. I think we we know it doesn't necessarily work. We We need to live, some of these things are good when they are left to the market. But but yeah, markets, we have to be also honest that they don't always work well. We have seen, you know, a big problem actually of markets is uh, concepts or ideas like arbitrage. So arbitrage in a market is literally this idea of literally making money very quickly by buying something cheap, selling more expensive. So, and these are advantages that you can have when you enter into a market, which is not very mature not very efficient. We here we come into the the concept of efficient market hypothesis, very well known in in finance. And but when markets are very efficient, when markets are very mature, they are very good and benefit the end consumer, because there is competition, and there is all, and, and we benefit as consumers because then that means as uh, someone else is, I can buy this thing, and actually that happens now. There is many people who benefits, who for example on sales on sales many people go and buy something like for example clothes for sometimes less than what it actually costs to produce that okay so so there are benefits in in all of these market economies you know who wouldn't like sometimes you know to pay less for something that costs more to produce you know you, you are getting there you know a, a, a very big discount and, and that happens uh tradition every day with the with what we have for example in sales mm-hmm. you know, in, the, in, the, in the western world
0: this is so, um so- this is a, a concept that comes up quite a lot in um yes it's sustainability and environmental um discussions around true cost so how much does something really cost um quite often we see um companies treating certain things as externalities. Um, I think um, a good example of this actually is climate change, right? So CO two as an externality, um, the impacts of a um, rising global temperature as an externality um, that comes with huge costs, but they're not priced anywhere. They're not they're not accounted for in the pricing mechanisms of the things that are, say um, what we pay for. Um, yeah, in different types of fuel, they're taxed and so on. But if we actually looked at the the lifetime value of that and the impact that it has. Like Nicholas Stern said, um, sorry Nicholas Stern. Just in case people thought I was talking about the Scottish First Minister, um, he he wrote a report. Oh, was it ten, fifteen years ago now? And he basically called out, yeah, the the idea that climate change is the greatest market failure of all time. So, agree. Yeah. So, what is this new? Um, potential economy that we're talking about here, this, why is it useful to have these different understandings of value? And what might that mean for how we proceed in the economy in the future?
1: Uh, excellent question. And, and I mean, I definitely probably won't be able to answer even a fraction of that in this. Uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I do agree that yeah, it started actually with that report from uh, 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 from Sir, Sir Stern. Uh, it is actually that was that gave the rise and was the scientific backing for the Paris Agreement in 2015. And unfortunately, the problem is these things they move slow. I imagine you know he actually published this in the, uh, 2006, five and so on. Uh, it got actually implemented as a as you know as an agreement in 2015, almost 10 years later. The the countries agreed. Oh yeah we need to do something. <laughs> and if, if we continue at this rate, yeah, I don't know where we go, we know when we're know, going to go, this exact value. Uh, it is a complex question. Uh, and unfortunately, one of the reasons as well, why it's very complex is because it mixes things. It's mixing science with politics. Uh, uh, I think, well, on, on the science side, I think we scientists, we scientists are, I mean, include myself there. We are, we're moving a very good speed. We are, we are kind of, uh, well, because, you know, this is the beauty of science, I guess, you know that we, we, we are ways to define if you're right or wrong, relatively easily. And and that is moving relatively well, uh, especially, for example, carbon accounting, measuring how much emissions there are in a certain activity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the problem comes uh, with the political side and, and, and uh, which, for example, touches on taxes. And we can talk, for example, specifically about uh, emissions trading schemes. For carbon credits, that is one of the sticking points and one of the key points that actually we're trying to address for the next COP, no, COP twenty-six. Uh, COP, by the way, for those that don't know, is worse where uh, uh, COP twenty-one was, where the Paris Agreement was signed. Okay, it's a Conference of the Parties. It's a part of the UN where essentially it's focused on climate change. It's a Conference of the Party, COP. So we last year COP didn't happen because of COVID. This year well, hopefully it will happen in November in Glasgow, but we don't know. Uh, COVID, you know, as you know, causing lots of trouble. But yeah, one of the key sticking points there is about Article 6 and carbon credits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and the challenge there is, okay, we know how to account carbon, we know how to measure carbon in agriculture, we know many of these things already. But then you when you start doing these calculations, it becomes very quickly that there are some countries that, are benef- that they have some of the biggest reserves. For example, of, of agricultural carbon, you know, whether it's biomass or soil, and there we have Brazil, <laughs> we have Indonesia, that they, you know already themselves, you know, they account for over a third of the whole reserves of you know of carbon storage in the world. So when you start talking about this and you start doing calculation, it quickly becomes evident that. Essentially, some rich countries will have to start paying a lot of money to some of these countries, and then this becomes very political because uh, well you know why you know, we in whichever country you pick you know which is not Brazil eh, why should we start paying you know so much money to Brazil to keep the Amazon and, and yeah that, that is a complicated question that nowhere here in the position to answer, but you can imagine the political side of that. Uh, and and that that's where the problem is a lot with some of these things, but on on the less political side, you know, I I, I can tell you that scientifically we're trying to get better and better at at, at quantifying this thing of value, uh, and yeah, we leave the politics to the politics to say okay, well, you know, this is the problem. Uh, here it is the facts. You see how you sort it out, but but yeah, we cannot escape facts, the science.
0: Um, okay, so uh what did I want to ask you about next? I've got so many questions for you, I'm sorry. Um let's let's talk about the relationship between um yeah, sustainable finance, blockchain, and climate change. So one of your hats is the blockchain and climate change institute. So how do these two things go together and why is there an institution um, to enable that to happen? <laughs>
1: Uh, uh, well, uh, uh, this uh, the, the initiative uh, or the idea of this emerged actually after one COP. Uh, as I mentioned, the COP is the conference of the party where climate change is discussed. Uh, well, we need to cite the work of Alistair, Alistair Mark, which is the Director General of PCI, who joined one of those initial conversations. And, and the idea emerged there of oh, does actually blockchain has a role to play in climate and and yeah i want to say i think hopefully you get the idea that there is a role to play for blockchain uh, when it comes to addressing climate uh uh the 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 institute was formed based on that premise uh, that mission to try to bring technologies and actually it's not sometimes only uh, blockchain as i mentioned i do a lot of ai myself uh, and sometimes they come as a bundle <laughs> uh, it's all about providing a solution to our problem
0: let's just unpick that a little uh, bit just so that everyone can understand um some examples of why blockchain can be useful um to tackle climate change so one of the things that i was reading about was the idea that um carbon trading and offsetting uh, quite often things are double counted um so you think that it's been um it served its purpose but it's being used twice, so we're not really sure how much carbon's actually moving around anymore um There's also the idea of um smart contracts so automated um contracts that um based on information on the blockchain conduct certain functions and they could be linked to bank accounts they could be linked to certain other programs and software and so on. The idea being that if they were to be used. Um, as a as a form of agreement between different parties there would be consensus on what the agreement is the outcomes of that agreement could be automated um, and it's all kind of taken care of and that could therefore be useful when we talk about carbon and climate change because we could have transparency and agreement on what the actual state of affairs are. We could have an understanding of how much carbon is actually being moved around and we'd be able to follow it through the supply chain as it were at every single step of the way from where it's been produced to where it's been bought and sold um, and how it's moving around. So how does that then translate to global climate change agreements or activity um is there a desire somewhere at the blockchain and climate change institute to to um to move into that political area we're well, not moving to polit- um to inform that political discussion because i know you don't want to be political actors right you researchers you're scientists but um how does this work so one of the things that i was reading about that got me thinking was like well hang on a minute if you did have smart contracts, if there was a cop that was put on the blockchain and the outcomes were automated, they'd never sign up for it, surely, because it's too good to be true. It would actually hold them to account and it would kind of handle the the situation for them. Wouldn't they run a mile? Wouldn't like China and America, Well, you know, certain parties, wouldn't they just go, no way, I'm not signing up for that because that's actually going to hold me to it. I can't wriggle out of it.
1: Yeah, excellent. Excellent point, Rob. And and, and yeah, I, I think, you know, what you mentioned there, a, a lot of the challenges here are not related to the, te- the technology can do many of these things already. And there are very good cases. It's about, you know, getting the specific application done. And this requires, uh, uh, you know, specifically tailored for those applications and agreement between those. and And that is way more difficult and can take way more time. Uh, I, I mean, th- this is an area which we are very active, you know, on, on actually using blockchain for specific actions. Uh, I'll, I'll just mention one to probably is relevant to everybody, just to give an example of what we are doing uh, at BCI. We're, I'm working a lot on, in the area of fixed income.
0: Of what, sorry? In finance.
1: So fixed income. Fixing. Fixed income. Fixed uh, income covers uh, bonds and loans. Uh, specifically on ideas like, for example, blockchain, uh, green or sustainability. Uh, link bonds or loans what, what is what is,
0: a, what is a green bond <laughs> uh,
1: we we well whether it's a bond or a loan as i say it's a big fixed income the idea of fixed income is that yeah you get some money and you pay some interest on in it you know in the, in the case of a bond it's a coupon in, in for example if any of you or any of the audience have bought a house you get some um, um, money to buy a house you know the mortgage and then you pay interest every month so that, that, that's the idea of, of kind of fixed income in a nutshell. And, and what we're actually now working on is attaching the interest rates. And as you know, we all are affected by interest rates in, 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 or mortgage payments and so on, attaching that interest rate to sustainable actions, to a specific meeting, for example, KPIs, key performance indicators like, oh, if I get this money for doing, for example, this renovation to reduce the energy consumption, If I actually reduce the energy consumption and that data will be coming from a smart meter, so we can actually prove that actually I remove my energy consumption by 20%, for example, then I get a reduction of my interest rates for that loan. Does that make sense? That's amazing. So this is a, this is a concept that I started, in fact, the, the last year. The ICMA, the International Capital Markets Association, released, you know, the first uh, uh, kind of details of what a sustainability or kpi link bonds or loans are. Uh, oh yeah, I mean, this is an area which is uh, looking more and more interesting. More parties potentially involved because of what you said. Exactly. You put uh, your actions where your mouth is. Right. And if you don't do it, then you pay the price.
0: Okay. Now, I can see why that would be incredibly attractive to anybody with any green credentials that has a mortgage, right? Because they're like, yeah, I'm going to borrow from that bank. That means that the, the better I do things in terms of my energy consumption, the, the cheaper my mortgage payments. Brilliant. Sign me up. What's in it for the bank?
1: Well, this is, uh, remember, banks are, at the end of the day, many of these cases we're talking about, for example, mortgages. They mainly add, sometimes, uh, act sometimes as intermediaries. Uh, A lot of these things, that's why actually I was linking it with bonds, uh, because something that actually happens in the background, and many people do not know, is that, yeah, you may get a mortgage with a bank, but then in the background, actually, uh, lots of mortgages are repackaged and sold to an investor, like, for example, a pension fund.
0: This is uh, all. So, this uh, is all ringing bells from the 2008 financial crisis, right? <laughs> I think with some people—that's our well, first ever exposure to the notion that um, different mortgages and things could be packaged up and bought and sold.
1: There is, and that—I mean—I can tell you that things have changed from 2008, 2009. Sure, but I mean, uh, as a
0: principle, like most people don't think about that. They don't think about, um, yeah, financial assets being packaged and bought and sold unless, like me, you heard about that at that particular point in time.
1: Yeah, I yeah, know it's, it's a big area. But but yeah, for the big investors, and actually we eventually end up being one of those big investors because our money makes it to a pension fund. And those pension fund, the money is, shouldn't be sitting just in a bank. It should be invested. And, and now there are more and more requirements emerging for a specific funds or type of funds that a certain amount of their money have to be put into sustainable actions. Uh, in this sense, you know, the Nordics are probably the ones more ahead of everyone else in the world. Uh, you know, the Nordic, you know Norway, Sweden, and so on. Uh, and yeah, it's it's kind of an obvious thing to do, no? I mean, if you pay and put into a pension it's because you really are expecting that you will be around, I don't know, in 20, 30 years. And what's the point in 20, 30 years? If climate change have destroyed everything, well, there's nothing really to care about. So why, why uh, are the
0: Nordics so far ahead in this? What are they doing?
1: I guess it's you know the the nature uh, of you know, they, but they they are one of the ones pushing forward, and you can see for example just in typical laws like uh, uh, the banning of uh, combustion vehicles. Uh, there are now regulations across all of the EU, but the most uh, stringent are in the Nordics. You know they they want as soon as 2025, so in four years, no more salt uh, banning and, and uh, you know banning everything diesel gas also that's the political will of the people and and you know what they want and here unfortunately in the uk we're still slow 30 30 20 35 we're looking now or 40 that's too much you should move that but obviously that introduced a a a chain reaction of imagine so what does all the people that works in building cars diesel what are they going to do uh so it's uh, the good thing is that at least the direction of travel is clear now it has to be just about more action and, and will uh, that, yeah, we should be banning combustion vehicles uh, from, from my point of view, in fact, this, this decade.
0: Okay, so thinking aloud here, is there an argument to say that maybe instead of just protesting our governments for action on climate change, we want to be paying more attention to finance and saying, well, if we want to see change in the world, let's change the way that we regulate or interact with pensions or bonds or all these things that maybe for a long time people, normal people on the street like me don't have much to do with. But more and more so the world of finance is opening up to mass markets through speculation. I can now download an app and I can um, invest in an equity of a sustainable startup for as little as 10 quid, right? And there's crowdfunding apps, there's ticker, impact investment apps, there are people... I was on TikTok the other day and I got advertised to by like a, a 20-something-year-old trying to sell me the t- the ticker app so that I could invest in impact startups, right? Now, that's that's revolutionary. Like, this just did not... This is all new. So what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is, is there a world emerging where people, everyday people with a smartphone, can start making choices and investments... Um, at home, sat on the sofa with a cup of tea <laughs> that could essentially be affecting the, the future of the economy?
1: I 100% agree. Uh, I mean, and I, it's great. I think we all have that power now. Uh, most corporations, you know, all Fortune 500 are realising about this change in, in, the, in, in the consumer base and they are trying to act on this. This, this is kind of typical market opportunity that is emerging. And yeah, whether it's, you know, uh, more sustainable food production to anything, more sustainable clothing. I mean, it's emerging everywhere. And, and yeah, I, I think it's great. I think that's one of the things I love about how we can use technology for this, to building a more sustainable, better world. Yep.
0: You can vote with your money from as little as £10 for the sorts of businesses that you want to see in the world. I agree. Yeah. Right? that's that's the whole premise behind it is to say okay well let's find the businesses the startups out there in the world that want to make a difference that are doing something differently that want to move us towards a circular economy um, and let's help those guys to achieve to succeed um, okay just moving on dum, 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 dum. okay blockchain and climate change there's many applications that we could use, Um, to be able to better understand the systems, to have transparency, to have um, automated consequences and actions and so on, which is fantastic. However, what about the energy consumption use of running a blockchain?
1: Uh, Well, as I mentioned, things have been progressing uh, on the technology side. and This is a good, you know, the technology keeps moving forward. And uh, I, I don't think this is a, a big problem anymore, uh, at least with many, many new blockchains or DLTs. Uh, as I said, because there's this reason that we are not actually working anymore with a uh, proof of work, but with proof of stake. Uh, it unfortunately has taken a, uh, quite a bit of time for some DLTs to catch up. Uh, I, I think some of them, in fact, will never do. Like, I don't think Bitcoin will move from where it is. It's just too much money involved, I think. Uh, but uh, Ethereum, which is a big, you know, they have been trying in this, they have been in this process of going into Ethereum uh, 2.0 for a while now. And Ethereum 2.0 is with a uh, proof of stake, as I said. So it's it's really, really a fraction. You, you don't really have to solve this complex mathematical problem, you know, to uh, to uh, agree consensus. So it's it's done uh, in, in a different way. So is is and, the... And
0: is the is the um, the the process of um, of using these these networks um, so Ethereum two for example well actually to stick with Ethereum as it is at the moment does um, does the same amount of computing energy go into running applications on a blockchain as goes into uh, cryptocurrencies is is it different because I, I hear about Bitcoin mining and how the amount of energy that is required in order to, to do that um, is, is huge, um, the, to the point where, you know quite rightly, people start thinking um, about where are we going to site these data centres? Can we put them in places that are naturally cool so that we don't have to cool them down? Can we put them near places where there's uh, more ready, readily available um, renewable energy, places in Canada that use hydropower near waterfalls and so on? However, then you've got the issue of um, what about the neighbouring regions that used to utilise some of the surplus from that renewable energy who are now having to lean on to coal? You've then got China who um, make it very attractive to go and run lots of of um, uh, 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 mining there because the energy is cheap and you can utilise different regions where, again, there might be a surplus. However, all of that energy is produced by coal. Um, there's an awful lot of energy that needs to be utilised. There's so many benefits to the blockchain that can uh, help us reduce our CO2. But what's the net outcome? I mean, are we going to be um, just running to stand still? Because um, all the gains that are made in terms of um, reducing CO2 emissions are then affected uh, negatively by the huge increase in energy that's needed to run the blockchain in the first place.
1: Yeah, well uh well two two sides here two two points well one of them is that as i mentioned i work in the field of data data keeps growing exponentially at the moment you know actually based on a report from the international energy agency at the moment one percent of the entire energy usage in the world goes to data centers and is going to keep increasing you know maybe in 10 years you know five ten percent uh, and, but this is overall, no, this is not just DLT. This is just our consumption and our dependency on apps, as you mentioned, TikTok. All of this data has to be somewhere. <laughs> so it is in those data centers and they consume energy. Uh, so that's one side. On the other is specific to blockchain. Uh, blockchain, as I say, with the original development, you know, of, of for example, Bitcoin uh, was based on the proof of work. Uh, and the proof of work, the way it works, actually, why there are these miners is because every time you actually add a block and you, you actually essentially find the solution to the cryptographic problem, you create new coins. And that's how you get paid. So you create, you know, for coins, for for example, now, I don't know how much is the price of Bitcoin, but you can imagine if you create four Bitcoins, you know, <laughs> that's that's quite a bit of money now. I, th- and, I think and, we're and looking, actually-
0: it's about 39,000 pounds a Bitcoin at the moment.
1: Yeah, uh, and again, you know, there are a few of these blocks per second uh, that added. So how much money is created per second. And, and and that's why, you know, some of the miners have not been very happy about moving from uh, uh, proof of work into proof of stake, because they are going to lose that. You see, that that is one of the reasons why some of this migration has been very slow, because the, the miners, especially people that have put literally millions on investments on a mining farm, they' are essentially going to lose that money,
0: so what uh, is the difference between proof of work and proof of stake and and how how much more energy um light is is proof of of stake uh,
1: well uh, I think the 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 energy comparisons are literally orders of magnitude probably a thousand times uh, literally wow. if I'm, I'm not I'm not wrong that's that's why I said you know, I don't see the energy's bar, it's not a problem anymore if if you use the right tech. Uh, oh. uh, so yeah, it's, it's orders of magnitudes of difference. And and the ways that how it used to be in proof of work, as I say, it's it's a, it's a solution to a mathematical problem, very complex, and it, it, that's why it takes so much energy. And, you know, that was there was essentially a competition happening between miners to see who solved this problem first. And whoever solved it first, you know, essentially gets the coins and so on they are a consortium because this one you as i say you don't do it alone you may do it in a distributed fashion you know multiple lots of servers working together to solve this complex problem uh but yeah nowadays uh with proof of stake you don't need to be solving this cryptographic problem uh the the way how you achieve consensus is by uh, essentially picking for example some trusted partners in the network at random you see and this thing is changing every second which actually help to uh, uh, achieve consensus in the network of when a transaction has happened, uh, and in the proof of the stake, for example, the the way how this thing is done and how you get allocated and how you, how much power do you have, it depends on how many coins do you have, not how much computer power. You see, the computer power becomes is becoming irrelevant to the point even that in proof of stake, our phone could become a node, you know, to achieve consensus. You see how things are moving and all these people putting, you know, millions of dollars on, the, on a, on a hang, mining farm.
0: Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Let me compute that. So are you saying then, this goes back to some of the questions I had at the beginning around power and um, access to this sort of technology. If the proof of stake is linked to the number of coins you have, just how... Free, open, decentralized, democratized—is this system?
1: It depends on the specific uh, uh, DLT. Again, we go back there. Well, let's let's and let's talk uh,
0: about Ethereum, right? Because that's the one that everyone's talking about. That's the the one where um, Ethereum two point proof of stake. What does that look like?
1: Well, uh, I I'm not sure exactly. For example, of the details of. Uh, uh, Exactly, you know how much coins or how many coins are on on the hands of how many people. I I do know that yeah, there are very few players that can really move the market. So that tells you, you know the power that they have, the amount of coins that they have. They can literally move the market. But I am not aware of the details. Again, this is the thing with with blockchain is you don't know these details. As you know, so well you you can see for example and monitor how many transactions can come from a node and so on, but but yeah, it, it is hard, and and uh, but at the end, you know, it's kind of the community, uh, and uh, and the way how or the reason one of the reasons why you think okay, this is okay to move away or, or to put this power into the hands of the most or the people that have the most coins, for example, is because they obviously will be definitely not interested in hacking it, because they are the ones that have most of a stake of losing everything.
0: Right. You see. Hence proof of stake. Yeah.
1: <laughs> It's, it's a yeah. uh, fake that you have, yes. <laughs> right. It's how much
0: skin have you got in the game?
1: In the game. And yeah, the, and the moral skin, you know, you, for sure, you, you don't want to hack yourself. To right. System. Okay,
0: okay. So it's less about power and control. It's more about um, we uh, respect the we can trust and have consensus on this person's read of this situation, because it's completely in their interest to maintain the veracity of the, yeah, the but- network right i'm with you now okay so it was, that,
1: that that's where the assumption comes in yeah yeah that you wouldn't like to destroy your own wealth
0: <laughs> yeah okay and that, that for me that helps because that gets away from this thinking of control because it's not about control it's just about verification so if you've got more coins than somebody else i was just thinking in i suppose traditional economic terms of thinking well wait a minute this just means that whoever's got most money decides what happens But it's not necessarily that i get it it's about having skin in the game having a stake if you ask the people that have got the most skin in the game um to verify and give consensus on the situation so okay so how does that reduce the amount of um energy so rather than running these huge um mathematical problems um it's now what what is the actual activity that's happening and how does that relate to energy
1: where a series of trusted parties, you know, agree on a transaction. So they achieve consensus between them. Yeah. And, and these parties, as I mentioned, they are, they are pulled at random. So you don't know anyone can be in the network. Uh, and yeah, and uh, again, you need, as again, it's all about the distributed, the decentralization that to have a majority. So that even if you hack, even it's very big or special, you still cannot really destroy or hack the entire network. So that, that there is a lot of these things, details and considerations that come into the play there. But, but no more big mathematical encryption problem.
0: So, right. Yeah. And then uh, how close to achieving this um, proof of stake are DLTs such as Ethereum? Have, have they done it yet?
1: Well, no, there, there are some that have been around now for a while and... Uh, I mean, I I don't want to mention specific names. So I want to you know be like Elon Musk, and then everybody goes and shop around. But <laughs> uh, just just Google, and there are DLTs that are already buying sanctioned. They they address you know the trilemma of DLTs, you know, which is around scalability and so on and so on. Uh, so, uh, uh, and yeah, I, I just leave it up to people to go on. Sure. I don't want to be recommending any specific insight so Yeah. I, there, this, there is <laughs> speculation Rob. Yeah, no, no, no.
0: This is the point of the podcast where we go and uh, the legal disclaimer, our lawyers have asked that we say <laughs> that this is not financial advice. Um, yeah. Th- this is literally just uh, a, a, a curious, conversation right this is not this is not investment advice whatsoever but this is fascinating thank you for making sense of this for me um what else did i want to ask you about okay okay um what work is currently being done in the sustainable finance area that has piqued your interest that gives you i don't know some sort of excitement or hope for the future
1: uh well i guess yeah to to wrap up a bit uh um... I think there is a lot of hope uh i mean well you you have seen how many things i'm doing (laughs) uh which isn't in big part actually bringing together because one of the things about dlts is 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 the distributed nature you know the the decentralized so it's not about one party it's not about one bank about one government about it's about community it's about network and I, I well, I'm, I guess I'm a good example of that, of how I am able to bridge together, uh, you know, the gap that exists into different type of organizations. You know, I'm, I myself, I work very closely with academic institutions, with commercial organizations, with non-for-profits, with governments, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and uh, well, I'm, I'm working on this. Anyone who is interested in this, you no. Know, feel free to get in touch. Uh, I'm trying to bring some to life some of the first demonstrators on these things in the world, working across jurisdictions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and yes, uh, I, I, I'm hopeful that we can see some of these technologies really applied and used. Uh, in the very, very near future.
0: Okay, I'm going to push you a little bit and say, I want, I want to hear your, I want to hear your imagination a little bit. I know you're probably going to be like, no, 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 no. I'm a scientist. I'm an engineer. I, I just deal with the data. This technology, um, is fascinating and it can do this, this and the other. But just as you, as, as Pedro, as a, just a human being who can see all this technology and understand it in ways that the rest of us can't. You've got experience with it that we just don't have. Um, when you look at the future. What do you see
1: mm. well it's uh, it's too many things there in my head, <laughs> but I can tell you that uh uh it's i think and i hope uh you know that uh in this this decade in fact because a lot of the deadlines that we have for example for Paris agreement action is by twenty thirty so we are just already you know, nine years well, less even, you know, nine years away from that. We need to move really, really fast on, on many, many fronts. Uh, as we were discussing the case of, for example, just moving away from combustion into electric vehicles, you're really triggering with one law, with one action, lots of chain effects that really will affect many, many people if you don't plan this thing and you don't move with the right speed. So, but on, on the plus side, uh, I'm, a, I'm a very technologist uh, optimist, uh, technology is moving extremely, extremely fast. Uh, I, the problem that I've seen, and in fact, a lot of the work I do in digital transformation programs it, is really helping the people and the culture in organization to change because essentially when I go sometime with them, they say, I've been doing this for 30 years. I've been doing this for all my life. I'm really close to retirement. Now you want me to literally throw everything away and do this. I say yeah that that is kind of what I'm, I'm, i ask a lot to, to people but there are benefits associated there are risks as well i'm, I'm not saying that they're not i'm not saying that everything will be perfect uh, just as i explained with the case of the energy consumption part of DLTs, the there are ways of solving these challenges and problems but you know it's once you try to do it and you get there that you actually say ah by the way what happened with this if we don't move well, we're never going to know, or things are not going to be moving forward. Uh, but, but the the plus side, or the optimistic side, is that we're going to see a wide range of applications emerging, entirely new business models that didn't exist, you know, even don't exist right now. And uh, and yeah, based on a very much sustainable uh, paradigm shift, uh, which really is going to be very different to what you know we, we had in the past decades. So, yeah, that that, that is where I, I feel hopeful of combining these things, you know, kind of my hobby of technology for you know, this passion for sustainable future. OK,
0: one last question, just to sum this all up. How disruptive are these technologies to the economy as we see it today?
1: Oh, they could be, uh, as you said... Uh, I mean it's crazy and now more and more regulators because of the rise of cryptos in the past few months alone. Uh I mean it's it, it's crazy what the effects can be. Uh I can cite actually one example last year, for example the Robin Hood effect. I don't know if anyone in the audience have heard last year is this type of apps that they literally have removed transaction costs uh by trading Balkans. so anyone can be actually part of a <laughs> a trading equities uh and this last year gave rise to uh the the game shop effect so it was this was a a, a company in the US that should have gone bust but it didn't <laughs> well it probably it may end up going bust anyway because this is the, where the fundamentals are you know the, there were many hedge funds uh, this is where kind of we can call the bad guys the, in finance the this big uh, financial institution that they put lots of money and they were betting essentially that Game Show will go bankrupt, and uh, thanks to chat rooms and etc. The community, they say no, let's try to prevent Game Show going bankrupt, and let's push up the shares. and And they managed to do. They they caused a huge loss to uh, hedge funds for several hedge funds. So it it was kind of a uh, a demonstration of the David against Goliath type. Uh, and and that uh, uh well many regulators uh, it was cut off guard because in many other circumstances that could have been considered insider trading for example, or some of these type of things that are illegal in a traditional financial world, but now we are not in a you know in a in that traditional financial now we are in a this de- decentralized finance world where anyone has the power now to go and trade uh, and, and complex derivative products that literally very few people actually even understand in finance uh, <laughs> with options trading, for example. And they can really cause huge disruptions to traditional finance players. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think there are benefits uh, to, to this democratization, but there are also clearly risks that we may end up paying as well, all of us, if, if it's not done if it's not managed properly. Because let's be honest, if all the banks' financial sector fail, and well, we know that they cannot fail. In fact, we already saw in the last financial crisis how governments have to step in. Because if there are no banks, we are all going to suffer. Because I, I imagine that everybody here in this audience have some money in a bank. <laughs> so if the bank goes bust, trust me, you're not going to be happy. Uh, so yeah, that it's, it's, it's complex, uh, it's changing. And I don't know what's going to look like. I don't think pretty much anyone knows if you ask me. But yeah, interesting times, I guess.
0: Absolutely. Okay, well, just one last thing to say is thank you. Thank you so much for sharing all your your knowledge and your experience and your time. Um, and it's, yeah, it's been really good, good chatting with you. So if anybody does want to get in touch with you, um, spark up a conversation or ask you for any help and advice or anything, how would they go about doing that?
1: Oh, find me probably on LinkedIn. I... I typically uh connect i mean just the right to message just to make sure i accept i, I sometimes get too many requests but but yeah if you definitely uh, cite you know the, the podcast and say hey you know i heard you was really interesting uh, for sure i will accept the connection and we can happy you know chat more <laughs>